Well, I wanted to wear all black today because I'm still in mourning that my Buckeyes got beat like they, <clears throat> like they did. Why are you clapping? <laughs> this is church, folks. This is church. Come on. Man. But I, okay, here's the thing. I, I guess it's payback for the way I ragged on some of you Kentucky fans. All right. So, and so it's 2017. Can we put the past in the past? Start on new ground this morning. The worship arts team, they asked me to take some pictures and give them some pictures, as you just saw, of my life. And as I was looking through the pictures of my life, some of it as a child and as I was growing up, there was two things that I really observed. And number one, I observed that, that time flies, that life goes so quickly. And the second thing that, that I kind of recognized was that, that life changes, doesn't it? That it's just rapidly moving faster and faster and faster. I found this article about life and what it was like a hundred years ago. And uh, it's quite fascinating. The year is 1917, and this is what life would have been like just a hundred years ago. The average life expectancy for men was 47 years. Aren't you glad that's not the case, men? Uh, only 14% of the homes in America had a bathtub. The only, only 8% of the homes had a telephone. The maximum speed limit in most cities, 10 miles an hour. Yeah. The average U.S. worker made between $200 and $400 per a year. Eggs were 14 cents a dozen. Coffee was 15 cents a pound. Most women, listen to this ladies, only washed their hair once a month. And when they did, they used borax or egg yolk for the shampoo. True story. The American flag had 45 stars. Crossword puzzles, canned beer, and iced tea had not been invented yet. There was neither Mother's Day nor Father's Day. I guess Hallmark hadn't come into existence, I think. And then two, of, two out of every ten adults could not read or write. But here's the kicker. This is the one that shocked me the most. That marijuana, heroin, and morphine were all available over the counter at every drugstore. Now look, I... I I mean, think about the, the change we've seen in, in, our, in our country. Not only are we making more money than ever before, but, I mean, you can't just get heroin at, at Walgreens, at least not in this state anyways, all right? And what a change we've seen. But yet, in spite of the change that we're seeing in this country, there's something that remains very similar to 1917 and 2007. In fact, it's the exact same, and that is this, that we need real-life relationships. We need relationships because they're the greatest element of growth and transformation we could ever explore. And, and whether we admit it or not, or we know it or not, or we even think it or not, that we need relationships, that deep down in our core, that this is a part of where we've been and how we've been made to be. Whether you're a, a man or you're a woman, this is true in the case. I mean, think about it with me. You have these massive, gargantuan men, tough as nails, Six foot four, run a 4.3, 40-yard dash, and they score a touchdown. And what is the first thing they do? They go and look for a hug. They give, look for a high five. They look to the stands. They look for community because they did it together. A, a female athlete, she just won a medal. What is the first thing she does? She looks for community. One of my favorite football coaches. He calls it the, the power of the unit. I love it. Every football game before he, the team goes out on the field, he goes, nine strong, power of the unit. And they get all excited and they're a team. And because of that, he's won national championship after national championship. 
But it just doesn't happen there. Think about it with me when you think about prison or, or jail. I, I was there one time, willingly, okay. And um, I observed some hardened criminals. They, they had been there for life. They would never, ever see freedom again. And as I sat there in that crow's nest, I, I asked the warden, I said, Warden, tell me what I'm looking at here. And he showed me men and women alike. They were divided by these huge, big rooms. And I said, what, what is one thing that, that, I, that you can tell me about this? And he said, you know what, Ray? Look at it with me. What is the one thing they're doing? I said, well, they're all together. He said, exactly. They're building community. I said, Warden, what is the one consequence in prison, the greatest consequence? You know what he said? Isolation. You see, no matter who we are, we are designed for life-giving relationships. It's just a part of who we are. We were on our way to Ohio for Christmas, and I remember going under a bridge, and I saw a homeless person. And my heart began to break, and I thought, where are their friends? Where are their family? Where do they come from, and why are they alone? Mother Teresa said of isolation and, and a life alone, she said, that, she said that isolation is the leprosy of our culture. That the Beatles, they would write in, and sing about it in their song, Eleanor Rigby. They would say, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? That relationships were built for them and God uses them as the greatest tool of transformation in our life. As we are looking at a new year, I believe the greatest thing for all of us are none of the resolutions that we have made, but of relationship. Because it's these relationships that really truly grow us. It's these relationships that spur us on, that challenge us, that embolden us, that, that transform our lives. You saw that video of me and, and, and all these scenes of me that are alone for the most part, but I really wasn't alone. Because behind the scenes, there was somebody encouraging me, championing me on, pressing me forward, moving me from A to B to C to D. And that is the case for every life that is going to grow, that is going to transform. So what a great opportunity. Now, beginning of 2017, fresh new opportunities, new beginnings for all of us in the room to ask the question, who are the relationships and what are the people in our life that are going to challenge us, to grow us, to transform us. Because if we don't deal with this question, then our 2017 will look a lot like 2016. And no one out here would say, you know what, I just want another ho-hum year. I want a year that is growing and transforming in my life. And my friends, we must ask that question then. Who are the relationships and what do they look like? And how should we move forward in them? There was a book that we gave out over our Christmas services and New Year's, and it's Life Together. And uh, it's been a fabulous book. I've actually read it three times now. And it's, it's a slow read, but it's, it's such an incredible book. I would say it's one of the best books on Christian community I've ever read outside of Scripture. And I would encourage you, if you haven't gotten one, a copy, we actually ran out of them because we had so many people come to our Christmas uh, services that we ran out. We ordered more just for you. We shipped them in quickly so that you can get a copy. So if you've not gotten your copy, please get one out in the lobby. We want you to have it and read it as we go through this life series together. But it's written by a man by the name of B Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was 29 and he was uh, walking alongside of these students. They had this quest to find what does it look like to truly find community? And what does it look like to discover the dream and live out the dream that we can live out in biblical community? 
Just a few years later, Dietrich would be hauled off to the gallows by the Gestapo. He would be put to death because he was associated with an attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler. Dietrich, he he begins his book, chapter 1, and he really starts off with the scripture in Psalm 133.1. And I'm going to put it on the screen for you. And I'd love for all of us to read this out together. Let's read it together. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Unity. That is a word that, my friends, that we struggle with in this country, that we struggle with in our families, in our workplaces, in, our, in, our, in the places where we live. But this is the very thing that God's dream was for all of us. And his dream was that we would move towards each other and more towards him and unity. And as we would do so, we would discover these life transformational relationships and they would challenge us and transform us and literally move us from where we are into transforming even the world itself. But unfortunately, sin entered the world and another word entered the equation and it's the word exclusive. And it's a vein that has been running through our lives, isn't it? You know it, I know it to be true. I I can remember in sports exclusivity, it tells us that we're not good enough, we're not blank enough to be in this group or that group or this community or that community, doesn't it? I I tried out for this baseball team, and I remember it was a weekend tryout. And I felt like an outsider the minute I got on that baseball diamond. Every single guy there was twice as good as I was. Most of them were D1 prospects, and some of them were going to the pros eventually. And there I was, trying the hardest I could. I just just couldn't make it. I wasn't good enough. (laughs) I felt excluded when I was staring at a group of guys in their early 20s and they were swooning and flirting with this beauty. She was in her 20s. And I thought, man, I don't have a prayer on God's green earth to land a woman like that. Well, it just happens that I started dating her and now I'm married to her. (laughs) There she is right there. That's why why Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer is my theme song. (laughs) Right? No, it's, it's, it's not, but it's a good song. But, but, but see, sin entered the world, and as it did, it entered and disrupted the, the, the direction of towards one another and towards Jesus. It destroyed this. So as we look at this life series together and we open up today, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. If you have a smartphone or you brought your Bible with you or you'd like to use the Bible that's in front of you, I have a copy of a a Bible that's actually in front of you. And you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take this Bible home, be our gift to you. And I'm going to read out of Luke chapter 6, and this is in the New Testament. It's three Gospels into the New Testament. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to read it out loud, and then we're going to jump into it. A little bit more. It reads, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. And just to give you a little bit of background here, there's also two other lists found of these men, and it's in Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 3. And Jesus, Jesus has actually chosen 12 guys. 
And these 12 guys is not a mistake. This is actually a number that he arrived upon with intentionality. It wasn't a, a surprise to him. This wasn't just like, oh, I'll pick 9, 10, oh, let's make it 12. No, it was exact. And here's why. Because it was making a message to the local establishment that there was a new community in the equation. See, Jesus was seeking to reboot the dream that God had in this new community, in this dream team, if you will. And the 12 represented actually the same number of tribes that God had instilled many years ago. And that dream had faded as the tribes had dissolved, not done very well. And all these things had just obliterated. And this was a new statement, a new community that, that God was trying to form through his son, Jesus Christ. And we get the glimpse of this. And these, these 12 men would be given power, as we see in Luke chapter 12. And it would be a power of the unit like Really, we'd never, they'd seen before, and it was a diverse group, and it was to be it, it imitated even today. So I want to take a quicker look and a closer look at these words together. But let's go through it just bit by bit. It says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples. Now, the word disciple... It means a relational apprentice. Anybody see the movie Rogue One by Star Wars? I saw that movie over Christmas. Fabulous movie. And you had the apprentice to the Jedi. They were hoping to be Jedi one day. You've got these followers of Jesus. They're his disciples, these apprentices. And an apprentice always follows in the footsteps of the teacher, of the master. And if you were to follow Jesus, you would know this, that you are to look and love and act like Jesus. But not only the case, but then you are to teach someone else to do the same. And then Luke continues, and he says, He called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Now the word apostle, it means that you're given a message, you're given hope, you're given a flame or a torch in a dark room, and you're to carry the message. You're the, you become the messenger, and you carry that message everywhere you go. And these men were the hope givers of a hopeless world. And he, he, he calls them in, and he, he begins to build this unbelievable team. Now look, if I'm building an, a, a championship football team, I'm going to recruit five-star athletes the best that I can. If I'm trying to build a, a tournament-winning basketball team, I want all the uh, McDonald All-Americans on my team that I can get. So you would think the, the, the group that is to reboot all of community for all relationships for all the time is going to be pretty special. So let's look at who Jesus would call on his team. Well, the first one we see is Simon, whom he named Peter. Now this guy is the most famous of all of them. You hear his name probably the most out of all. His dad was Jonah, and his brother was Andrew, who we'll read about in a little bit. And, and, and Simon and Andrew were fishermen, and they grew up in this small town called Galilee. And, and there in Galilee, they had this very interesting dialect. It's kind of like being from New York or being from the Deep South. If you're from those places, people know you're from those places. And Simon and Andrew, people knew as soon as they opened their mouth, they knew that they were from Galilee. But their dad, Jonah, he would die. And Scripture tells us that Zebedee and his wife would actually kind of adopt this, this, these two boys into their lives, and they would grow up there. And Simon had this interesting kind of, well, actually it was kind of a problem for him, and that was the fact that he would rev up his mouth way before his brain would ever engage in gear. Jesus would, a couple years later, Jesus would tell his disciples, hey, I'm going to be gone, and when I go, you're going to actually scatter. You're going to be scared. 
And, and Simon's like, no, not me. I got your back. I am always here. He's revving up his mouth, and yet his actions would say something totally different. He would actually de- de- deny Jesus, right, he, three times. Jesus would name Simon Peter, Cephas, which means a piece of the a living rock. And yet, I, I don't know if we actually see this come to fruition, at least for a while. One author said of his nickname being the rock that Jesus should have given him the name Rocket because he was always shooting his mouth off. He was not thinking before he was speaking. And let me tell you, I can relate to this guy named Simon or later called Peter. My wife and I went to the doctor office to gain the intelligence of the gender of our firstborn child. And you got to understand that for months we had been planning on having all boys. I had them all picked out. They were all going to play in the NFL because obviously their dad is NFL quality, right? And so you don't have to laugh. Golly, people. Gosh, for us, this is church. You got to be encouraging. So uh, we get to the doctor's office and we're there. And we go and they do the ultrasound. And the nurse looks at us and says, congratulations, it's a girl. And my wife and I, without even thinking, with th- this is the face that I had. Oh, neat. <laughs> Literally, I, that's what came out of my mouth. And as I said, I was like, no, bring those words back into my mouth. And I thought, you're a horrible person, Ray. You shouldn't even be in existence. This, this wonderful child that, that is going to, she's going to be wonderful. And I'm thinking that nurse is going to want to adopt that kid because we don't want her. And all these, all these things started flowing through my mind. And now I've got two girls and I wouldn't trade those two girls for 500 boys. All right. I love them to death. Don't get me wrong. But at that very moment, my mouth was revving up in gear and my brain was still stuck in neutral. Do you ever struggle with that? If you do, there's a place for you on this team, just like there was for Peter. And then Jesus, he calls his brother Andrew. Andrew never wrote a book of the Bible, and he's actually very mentioned very little in Scripture. And he always, I'm sure, heard a lot of his brother, Simon, who was called Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter this, Peter that, Peter, you know, Peter walks on water, blah, 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 blah. And I just wonder if he got frustrated. There's this show called the, the Brady Bunch, an old show. Do you remember the character Jan in the Brady Bunch? And there was always this line she would give. Do you remember it? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. That's all I ever hear, right? Yeah. And even though Andrew is overshadowed, he never lost the value of individual people. He was the one bringing people to Jesus. He never let barriers or schedules or tasks get in the way. But Andrew, he may not have been heard of, but he surely was bringing people to Jesus. Uh, let me get this straight and be very clear with you that our personal relationships are greater than any message on a stage like this. There was a guy like Andrew, and his name was Edward Kimball, and he was a timid man. He wasn't really known very well. You may not have ever heard of him. But he introduced Jesus to a man by the name of D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody became one of the greatest leaders uh, the faith has seen in the last hundred years. My wife and I are in a, a group here at Graceland, and we love the people in our group. We're having Taco ter- uh, t- Thursday this Thursday night. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. And we love the people in our group. And some of those people are maybe in this room right here. And I just want you to know that over the last 15 years of the ministry my wife and I have been in, 
that we've had opportunity to, to walk alongside of so many great people in life and, and do life together and really cry and, and love and, 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 and do all these things. And one of the people that I've experienced community with is this guy by the name of Will. And Will was an Andrew. He, he wasn't very well-spoken. He, he was actually really shy. He wasn't showy. He didn't really talk a lot. But he had a way of finding people and bringing people and making people feel welcome and, and, and included. And I've seen God use guys like Will more than many others. See, if you're like Andrew, if you're like Will, then God has a place for you on his team. And then Jesus would call James and John. This was the second set of brothers who were fishermen. And these guys, they had a reputation. They were explosive individuals. In fact, they had a serious issue with their temper, so much so that Jesus, the master, you'd call them the sons of thunder. In Luke chapter 9, we get a glimpse into this when they're going through this small Samaritan village and these people don't respond to Jesus the way that they feel like the people should respond to. And so they can say, hey God, rain down your fire on these people. They're not worth it. Burn them up. Rain down. I mean, what kind of people are is that? And the crazy thing is that one of the sons of thunder eventually was given the nickname the Apostle of Love. And one author says it like this, that the Apostle of Love would spend his final days at Ephesus saying, my little children love one another. And asked why he would always say that, he would reply, it is the Lord's command and, and if this alone be done, it is enough. Have you ever had a problem with anger? Have you ever had a problem with your temper one time, ten times? Now, it's a new year, and I've already established the fact that we're in church, so you're not allowed to lie, okay? So I, I just want to give us all this a cathartic moment, okay? So I'm going to ask the question. I would just love you to be honest, all right? Have you ever had a, tr a problem with your temper or maybe be, been a little angry more than you should have? Yes, that's right, that's right. The first crowd wasn't as honest as you guys are. Good job, all right? If you've ever been like the Sons of Thunder, then there's a place for you on this team. And then Jesus, he continues and he calls this man by the name of Philip. And, and Philip, he's not known real well. We get a glimpse of him, though, in John chapter 6. And here's what we know about Philip, that he's this guy that is the facts and figures. He's the one that sees the glass half empty. He's the one that is non-forward thinking. He's somewhat of a killjoy, okay? And don't elbow the person next to you. But Jesus picked him. And then he picks Bartholomew and Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. And he had his tax poll booth. And he would take money from the people that he'd grown up with for the people they all hated the most. The Romans. So consider this with me. We just saw a new bridge put on the east end of Louisville and it makes our commute to that end of town, maybe even just in 15, 16 minutes. But one of the only negative things that I've really experienced since I've seen the new bridge go in is that there's this thing called tolls. And that's not been the greatest response, has it? I mean, nobody likes taxes, and so that's been the negative. So picture with me, you're on the East End Bridge, and there's this physical uh, thing, shack in front of you on the bridge in the middle of the bridge and it will not let you pass and there's this guy sitting in the booth and he's charging you a toll but he has 
upcharging the toll. He's actually tripled the amount, and you know it, and he knows it, and everybody knows it, but you can't do anything about it, and you got to pay to get through. He's crooked, he's illegal, but that doesn't matter. That's Matthew. He's not the most light guy in town. But Jesus says, hey, hey, I want you on my team. And there he meets grace. There he meets mercy. See, where, where Jesus is, there's redemption. And Matthew makes sure in his gospel that, that he includes that Jesus loved the outcasts, that he loved the sinners, and that people that no one liked to hang out with, he was the friend of those. And that Matthew wanted people to know that Jesus was the Messiah, not just to the good people, but to the people that were not, not so good, to the people like Ray Green. See, where Jesus is, there is redemption. And the funny thing was, is that Matthew, that's not really his name given to him. It was Levi, but his name was changed to Matthew, which means a gift of God. See, when Jesus comes into the picture, the redemption takes place. Passes in the past. And maybe you need to hear that this morning. Maybe you're Matthew today, and maybe you, you just can't get over something you've done or what has happened in this new year. Maybe doesn't bring many even new beginnings to you, but my friend, where Jesus is, there's redemption. Where Jesus is, there's fresh start. Where Jesus is, there's forgiveness. And we need to keep this in mind, and we need to understand that there are Matthews all around us, and we're Matthews. Bonhoeffer actually quotes Martin Luther on page 17 and 18 of Life Together, and I love it, these words by Martin Luther. He says, The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies, and he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit along roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but the devout people. If Christ had done what you were doing, who would have ever been spared? It's convicting to me. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. We're not a museum of saints here at Graceland, but we are a hospital for those who need grace the most. And this is Christian community. This was God's dream from the beginning. And the reason why is because where there is Jesus, there is redemption. If you're like Matthew, well, then there's a place for you on this team. And then Jesus would call Thomas. I did quite a bit of research on this. I actually asked a, a good friend of mine, for help on this as well. And we both kind of came to the same conclusion that Matthew or Thomas, he's actually called Didymus in other places in the New Testament. And then in the Greek, Didymus is actually the word twin. Did you know that Thomas was a twin? And did you know that if Thomas was a twin, that he probably went through his struggles of identity and, and be feeling like he had any kind of worth in his life? How many of you are a twin? Yeah. How many of you know a twin? Yeah. How many of you know a triplet or a quadruplet? Let's just, I thought, let's just pray for all the parents of quadruplets. Because they need it. No, I'm not a twin, although someone the other day said that I have a twin. He's a NASCAR driver, and his name is Brad Kozlowski. And um, I actually had someone one time actually ask if I was this man. I was tempted to give their autograph, my autograph to him, but I didn't. But I'm not this man. But when you have a twin, it turns the temperature up of the comparison and the rivalry. We look at Scripture and we see Jacob and Esau in and, and Genesis 25, and we see that the father liked Esau better than he loved his twin. It's unfortunate, but it's a reality. So consider the comparison that Thomas had encountered, that he was only considered as the twin, maybe seen as second class or not as important or maybe just not as good enough. 
And I absolutely love what Bonhoeffer says about this. He says, the exclusion of the weak and this insignificant, the seemingly useless people from a Christian community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. And the poor brother Christ is knocking at the door. And this twin, this Thomas, this second class unimportant person. He would make his way to India and then to China. He would establish churches that are still going on 2,000 years later. He'd make quite an impact. And you know what this means? This means that we may and should not and will not exclude those people. Because when we exclude those people, we exclude Jesus Christ. See, if you're like Thomas, there's a place for you on this team. And then Jesus calls another He calls James, son of Alphaeus, not to be confused with James, the, son, the, the brother of John or the brother of Jesus. And then he calls Simon, who was called the Zealot. Now, Zealots were interesting people, okay? They led these revolts, and they were leading a revolt about and against the Romans. They hated the Romans. And so they were known to have weapons on them, and they were known to be dangerous. They were known to be conspiracy theorists. These guys were fly by the seat of your mouth kind of people. They were living and, and hopping around in all these small little towns and these houses throughout the Middle East area, and they wanted to overthrow the government. So picture with me the makeup of this dream team, okay? So you have a zealot who's crazy, and then you have this guy who talks all the time without thinking by the name of Peter, and then you have Matthew. Oh, by the way, he's taking taxes uh, for the exact country and, and empire that the zealot hated. Do you ever think, let me ask you a question, do you ever think they ever struggled? Do you ever think they ever got in disagreement? Do you ever think that they ever butted heads? Do you ever think that they just annoyed one another? Can you just see the zealot sitting in the corner and Peter starting talking, oh, here it goes again, and they just get into it? Man, you thought it was just your family. So you fast forward a few years after Jesus had chosen these men and they're in this room and you would picture that they're all together and there's unity and there's this camaraderie and there's this team and they're all on the same page and they're all going the same way. They've seen all these miracles and they participated in the master's education and teaching and you think that they're all at this great place and there's this beautiful harmony and let me just take you into this scene for, with me. It's Luke chapter 22, verse 24, and it says this. A dispute also arose among them. They're fighting. And Luke says, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They're all basically saying, it's his fault, and I'm better. It's his fault, and I'm the one that should be the greatest. I'm, did you see what I did the other day? And they're all fighting with one another. And they're messing up my exact thought of what it should look like to be in perfect Christian community. Have you ever had that thought? Maybe for the first time you entered a church and you thought, man, church is going to be the one place where there's no imperfection. But in every group, in every family, in every work environment, there's a Matthew and there's a Peter and there's a Simon. And right when one of them leaves, guess what? Another one comes in. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day, and they were sharing with me how annoyed they were at someone in their group at Graceland. They could not tell me how much that person annoyed them. He said, every time they open their mouth, Ray, I just, 
And I just thought about this. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in our family. It's going to happen in our workplace. It's going to happen in our community. It's going to happen at the gas station. It's going to happen at Meyer. It's going to happen in the restaurant. It, there, it's everywhere because it's people. But God, in his mercy, he, he said, you know what? I, I don't care if you haven't measured up. I don't care if you, you're annoying because, you know, what? I looked at your life and I'm going to the cross for you. Bonhoeffer actually makes this point about our pipe dream of communities blowing to pieces. He said, innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definitive idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely we must be overwhelmed by a great general delusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. So good. I mean, I have not heard that many writers ever talk about Christian communion like that. And the point is that we need to just dial down the expectations. We need to just have open hands and grace-filled postures towards others because we, none of us are going to ever measure up to what we really want. If you're, a, if you're a Simon the Zealot, if you're a Matthew, you're a Peter, well, then there's a place for you. And then Jesus, he chooses Judas, the, the son of James. And these, there are two Judases in, in the twelve. This Judas, there's not very much about him. I had to search and study to just kind of get an idea of who this guy was. But one time we see him speak up in John chapter 14, verse 22. And he says this, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus had just told the guys, look, I'm going to be going away. I'm showing myself to you, but I'm not showing myself to anybody else. And Judas had been thinking, man, there's going to be parades, and I'm going to be in the VIP party, and I'm going to be riding a nice horse, and we're going to rule the galaxy, and it's going to be incredible. And he had been elevating all these things to mind, and Jesus says, no, it's going to be actually a closed party, and I'm going to go away, and it's, you're on your own. And he's just like a little bit behind the eight ball. Have you ever felt that way? Just a little bit behind what's going on. You're just, you're not picking up what people are putting down. Have you ever felt that way? I have at times. Like everyone else gets it but Ray. If you felt that way, then there's a place for you on this team. And then Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor, is his last pick. This is the guy that sold out Jesus. He's the guy that actually dimed him out to kill him. This is the guy that was the traitor of all traitors. I'm telling you what, have you ever been double-crossed? It hurts, doesn't it? And I'm asking, why, Jesus, and all your sovereignty, would you pick this guy? This guy, of all guys, how would you include them in the original dream team? That he would befriend him, that he'd welcome him, that he'd teach him. He'd walk alongside him, he'd feed this man. And then this man would turn around and stab him in the back. And when, even when Judas is giving Jesus the stiff arm, Jesus is moving towards Judas. Just like he moved towards me. Just like he moved towards me as he moved towards the cross for me. This is the gospel. He moves towards the cross for you and I. Even when he knew, even when we, he knew that while we were yet sinners, he Christ, he died for us. Bonhoeffer says, Christianity means that community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. 
No Christian community is more or less than this. That as we move towards one another, we don't just move towards one another for the sake of one another. We move towards one another as we move towards Jesus. And in that, so we have this beautiful thing called community. I want to just ask you, would you step into this? Would you embrace this? Would you make this a part of your life? This reboot of what God's original dream looked like, would we unify around this? Moving towards one another and towards God. And where Jesus is, there is redemption and there is wonderful community. Look, if you're not in a, in a community group here at Graceland, if you're not in a group that meets on Sundays or throughout the week or on Wednesday night, I'm going to ask you, would you explore that next step? Would you have a conversation around that? Would you check one out or two out or three out? Would you look? Would you prioritize? Would you reshuffle the deck in your schedule? It's going to take time. It's not easy. It takes, it's stressful, okay? But it can be the, one of the most rewarding things you'll ever accomplish. See, in a, in a room this size, you can't really get to know people, but you can get to know people in a group. You can feel connected. And you say, well, I'll just go to a smaller church. Let me tell you, friends, you can go to a church of 80, which is the, the average size church in America. You're still not going to be able to know 80 people. It's all about a close, small group. And here's the kicker. It's not just that you get something out of it, that people are missing out that you're not there because you will bless their life just like uh, they will bless your life. So you can just, you can connect into community by writing group on a connection card that we gave you today. You can turn it in or you can go out into that stone wall out there and you can explore. You can ask questions. What would it be like to, to get connected? We just had a bunch of people in the first service get connected. And, and maybe that's you today. Or maybe you're in a group and, and you've been struggling. I want you to just double down on this Christian community, on unity as the body of Christ. And would you, with all of the grace and mercy in your heart, pray that you would see people as Jesus put that first dream team into place from the beginning of time and look at them the way Jesus looked at looked at his men and say, you know what? We are an inclusive, redemptive community of Christ followers. Imperfect, yes, we are, but there's room for everybody. If we approached life this way, you know what would change? Our race issues in this country would be over. That our disunity, it would be gone that it would be different to walk down the streets in New Albany, Indiana, and, Je and Clarksville, and Jeffersonville, and Floyd Knobs, that, that Indiana, and, and Kentucky, Anna, and this whole entire area, and our country, and our universe would be a different place. Why? Because of the fact that we would understand what community looks like. And that's my prayer as we start this series out today called Life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for my friends. Thank you, God, that you've brought them here today and that they represent a whole community of their own, brothers or sisters or singles or marrieds, old and young alike. And you've brought this group together today, and I'm thankful that they're here. And so I pray that they would move towards each other and move towards you. 
Because you love us, God, we're able to understand redemption and step into this, this community that we love so very much. And I pray for everyone here that maybe they struggle with if there's really a place. God, there's a place for every person because there's always, you died, you came for everyone. I'm grateful, Lord. I pray for my friends here to this morning. I pray that you would truly help them to discover this community that you dreamed up so long ago. In your name we pray, amen.